love is paradise, but it could also be hell. Welcome to another episode of Shadows in the Cave. My name is Edo Zellos, and I'll be with you. Um, I don't really know how long for this episode because we're going to touch on the subject of relationships and in particular romantic love. Um, but we're going to work our way there because romantic love could be incredibly bittersweet, right? It, it, it just There's so much that goes into being in love with someone. There's so much that, you know, we, we have so much project. We project so much. We, we pedestal that person to the next level because for a moment in time, they take away our problems, especially in the beginning, what we call the honeymoon phase. You know, there's, I remember one time I was trying to just bring it down to one word. I, 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 I was telling myself, you know, what is, what is that one word that you feel when you're with somebody for the first time, when there's novelty every day and you're discovering something new and every day it's an adventure. Every, you know, those, those uh, four-hour phone conversations, which is I've had a few in my time, they feel like they're two minutes, right? They, they, you know, being with them feels like, like a second, and, 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 and yet it feels so timeless, right? It's, it's weird because it's almost like we, we, we project time differently when we're with the, with the person we love. And we put them almost at a God level, you know, we, we accentuate their positives and we hide their negatives. And that's, that's not always good, but that's what happens. So I remember thinking, what could I, how could I define it with one word? And in my experience, that word is hope. Whenever, whenever I've had that kind of chemistry with another person, uh, whenever I've been in that honeymoon phase with someone, Every day is filled with hope, and every day we, I, I feel like, you know, like I've taken this leap of faith, because I'll tell you one thing right now, it takes a lot of courage to be with someone, it takes a lot of courage to be in a relationship, and no matter what happens in that relationship, because of who we are, because our worldview, it will never be the same. It doesn't matter if it doesn't matter if it's a fling. It doesn't matter if it's a ten-year thing. It doesn't matter. It's like water. You throw you throw a rock at water, and it changes the chemistry of it forever. You know, it flows different, and that's how we are. Every single person that we're engaged in a relationship with changes us in some way. Every single person. And so, there's this when we're in love, when we're in a romantic relationship, we we kind of put this person that person becomes a representation of your desires and becomes a coping skill for your unmet needs right and all this is very soothing and that's why whenever we have that kind of chemistry with someone which is not always a good thing and i'll get to that in a little bit it's because a lot of times we confuse chemistry for people enabling our bad habits or for people allowing us not to confront our negative coping skills. And so that feels good, right? It's the equivalent of allowing a kid to eat, to eat as much candy as possible. You know, it's, 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 it, they're gonna, they're gonna like you because 
they're gonna their mind is gonna compute candy with you right so so that that that's that that's the same thing in this situation it's like you know it's called operant conditioning we're getting rewards and for better or worse they feel good and there's novelty there's adventure there's all all, all these things that trigger the brain and uh, allow dopamine to to uh exfoliate even more right and so these are all wonderful times when we're when, when we're building that chemistry with, with someone and i'll get to it later how the brain works during that time why it feels so good because there is brain chemistry going on there but i gotta tell you it feels good <laughs> and i also gotta tell you it doesn't last forever right just and that is not fair okay i'm gonna sit here and pout like a 10 year old kid that is not fair i wish the infatuation stage or the honeymoon phase whatever you want to call it lasted forever because it's a beautiful feeling there's magic there's spiritual awakeness you know having that kind of synergy with another person is something that you can't buy anywhere you can't duplicate it you can't smoke it you can't snort it you can't drink it it's it's part of that person right and for better or worse throughout all space and throughout all time there's billions of people in this world you think about how you got to meet that person what kind of trajectory your life had to take what kind of trajectory their life had to take in order to put both of you guys in that one space at that one time to meet and it doesn't matter where it was at. It could be it could be in a nap, somebody answering an app on the internet. It could have been at a party. It could have been at the library. It could have been at a restaurant. It could have been at a coffee shop. It could have been at a sporting event. It could have been at school. It doesn't matter. Because the magic of life connected you guys. And if there is true awakening in you, and if there is true introspection, that person might not have been here. To spend the rest of their life with you they might have been here to make you better right or maybe they were here to spend the rest of their life with you that's the thing about relationships is that every single one of them good bad or indifferent they come with a lesson just like any mistake you've ever made relationships also come with a lesson and that's why i say enjoy the beauty of it because it's magic and you don't have to even pay for it you just have to experience it and so that's what we're going to talk about here today. But before we do that, I wanted to thank everyone for listening. So far, I've got like five episodes in the can, Shadows in the Cave on iTunes. So you could subscribe to that. You could hit me up on Instagram, Dead Boy Lost in LA, on Facebook under Pedro Nunez. Um, um, so I think I, I'm still thinking about Twitter. I'm not quite sure yet because I don't, that's a fucking cesspool of people that hang out in there i know there's some good people in there too but geez some of the stuff that i read on there i don't know i don't know if i want to be there but i might for this show um so anyways i could be reached through all those avenues and again i want to thank everybody for listening and hitting that download button and the positive feedback because i have gotten some good positive feedback um in these trying times and i did an entire episode on covid and some of the interventions for us to get through that rough patch and i also did one on the holiday blues 
I did an episode on depression, on anxiety, and here we are talking about relationships now. So I'm going to go ahead and um, what I'm going to do is I'm going to start at the beginning. Before I get to the relationship portion of it, I'm gonna, I want to start with the self, the you. You know, why do you attract the people that you attract? Why do things happen that either leave you disappointed or unfulfilled in a relationship? Um, all these things are important. Why do uh, marriages fall apart? Why do relationships fall apart? How do, how do children impact relationships? All these things we're going to talk about. We're going to talk about family. We're going to talk about culture. We're going to talk about friends. You know, we're going to talk about different forms of relationships. Hell, we're even going to define relationships. All that. And it might not all fit into one episode, but you are going to get it within this next few episodes. So, anyways, well, let's get started then. So, like I've talked about in previous episodes, the thing about us people is that we live in a, what we call a systemic social circle. It comes from, it comes from uh, something called family systems theory. And what that means is that when whenever we're in a community or a family or whatever the case may be, we, we're constantly influencing each other and we all have roles to play within that structure. Whatever, the, whatever they may be, sometimes, you know, they're maladaptive roles, which, which we have to kind of change or tweak. But the point is that every family has to stay in what we call a homostasis. Homostasis? See, that, that's, that's a tough word for Latino right there. Uh, a homostasis uh, state. So no matter what, it has, it has to have an equilibrium. Every family has to have an equi- equilibrium. And unfortunately, that means that at times, somebody in that family is going to be taking the brunt of a lot of the anxiety within that family. But that's a subject for another day. Um, so if, if anybody wants more details on that, hit me up and, and I'll let you know. Um, so a lot, a lot of our worldview, which is pretty much our, what we call schemas, schemas are the roadmaps that we have in our brain that allow us to live our lives, right? For example, the way my family acts is something I'm going to model because that's, that, that's my influence. That's what I'm seeing. That's what I'm learning from. So that that's that that becomes my worldview, right? So there's a lot of culture involved. So as we're growing up, our worldview starts influencing the people that we're gonna um, fall in love with, or 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 find attractive, or whatnot, or, or want want to seek out the company of, or just want to get to know. So a lot of it starts from our worldview. Now. The worldview is it's influenced because of family, because of our community, because of the people that we're around as we're growing up and we're developing an identity. Within that, there's something called attachment theory. Now, attachment theory is the idea that children need to develop a relationship with at least one primary caregiver for normal social and emotional development. So... There's different forms of attachment theory depending on the kind of attachment that you had as a child. And we're going to get to them right now. Um, and we're, this is all very brief stuff because I want to get to the good part, which is 
the relationships, right? That's what everybody's here for. I'm just trying to, I'm just trying to give you an overall perspective of everything. I want to paint that picture so you guys could have a good idea before we get into the meat and potatoes of the topic here. When it comes to this subject, it's it's such a broad subject. It's 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 pretty much defines humanity in a lot of ways. You know, as human beings, we need to be around people. We need to be social. That we are social creatures, and thus our entire psyche uh, comes about because we want to be with with other people and we want to be in relationships. And even just from like a primal uh, point of view, it's like we have to have sex because we have to keep the human race going. So just from that perspective, you see the importance of trying to find mates. And for survival purposes, we need to stay in communities. We need to stay with our families. We need to stay within our social circle with our friends. And so all these things that have to do with relationships are fundamental to human beings' survival. And so with that, we've we've established thousands of years of evolutionary psyche to survive that, 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 that dilemma of the relationships. Everything from the way our brain chemistry works to the to the way we react when, when when we're with somebody we like, everything goes hand in hand with being a human being and engaging in the human experience. So today we're going to talk about that subject of relationships, and there is a lot to talk about because I'm going to take it way back, and I'm going to I'm going to try to make the connection of the self in relation to others. In other words. We're gonna cover why we need to be uh, we need to be self-aware and have an introspection uh, to be able to uh, attract the right people in our lives. Because anybody that we allow into our lives is essentially a reflection of ourselves. We project so much into other people that it's almost like we're pointing a mirror. To our entire social circle, including our families, our friends, and our significant others. And so, in order to understand that aspect of our relationship, we need to understand ourselves. So, I'm going to start with the way we develop certain habits to attract people into our lives. And some of them are maladaptive habits that we use for coping mechanisms or, you know, Things that that keep us well, well, we'll get into attachment issue, which is really where I want to start this. But but so so I'm gonna I'm gonna take this. Um, we're gonna start with attachment, then we're gonna move into I guess defining relationships. I think it's a, it's a it's a good thing, and I'm not gonna spend a lot of time in that. Um, and then we'll get into like romantic love and friendships and family and whatnot. And like I said, if I have to break this into a, a few episodes than I will because I don't want to keep anybody here longer than like an hour. Um, so I'll do that as well. Um, I just think this is a very interesting topic and it's a very popular topic and it's a, a topic that comes up a lot, you know, where I work at with patients and a, a lot of our trauma is, is based on relationships and some of the maladaptive patterns that come about sustaining relationships, especially in certain cultures. But anyways, I'm getting ahead of myself. 
But before we get there, I wanted to talk about the honeymoon phase. Show to be a Debbie Downer when it comes to the passion that the honeymoon phase brings. You know, the fact that just being around these people, uh, it's like it's like we're constantly hearing our favorite song over and over. You know, this big crescendo of energy that explodes, right? Uh, you know, and, and just embraces us with this warmth. Now, I am going to talk about the science of love, which tends to, you know, pretty much base everything on behavior and motivation, right? But at the same time, I am a firm believer of the magic of being in love and the magic of being in a relationship uh, for the right reasons. And that's the key, for the right reasons. Because what I said earlier, you know, sometimes these relationships are a response to our trauma, right? We're projecting a lot of our baggage into another person. And depending on the reaction, it gives us a sense of control. It gives us a sense of peace, but it's just another barrier from healing. So we'll get it, we'll, we'll break it all down for you. But let me tell you, I ain't gonna tell nobody not to feel that energy, that passion, that spiritual awakening that you feel in those first six months to a year of a new relationship with somebody, right? Because everything about it is fucking awesome. Like I said earlier, you know, our brain becomes this time, this vortex where time doesn't exist. All right. Especially if you train yourself to be in constant awe, you know, where, for example, me as an existentialist, which is the topic for another time, I tend to think as my world, uh, as, as my world as something that I give meaning to every day. So I've defined every moment of my life with some sort of meaning. So when I'm around people, when I'm around people that I love, um, I tend to give meaning to that moment. So everything intensifies. So if I'm with somebody that I truly love and I'm truly passionate about, then we're going to have what's called a peak experience at all times with this infatuation stage, with this honeymoon phase. It's got different names. Because the deal is this. You know, when, when, when we're in that wonderful phase of the honeymoon phase, it's all about discovery. Like I said earlier, it's all about awe. It's all about adventure. It's all about something that's new. And it, it creates the brain chemistry, right? But we are adaptive beings. And that's the crutch of it all. That's the tragedy of it all. Because it doesn't matter if you're projecting your negative baggage onto someone or you're with someone for the right reasons and you're fully formed and that person's fully formed and everybody's putting the work and it's magical and it's real magic, we're still human beings and we still have adaptive capacities. What does that mean? That means that our brain eventually can no longer create the dopamine it needs to keep the intensity of the novelty alive. So once things become status quo, once things become uh, pattern, once things become the norm, you slingshot right back to where you were and you hope that that relationship, the intensity becomes more of a respect, boundary protected friendship that's going to guide you 
for years and years and years. And that's really where the where the goal is, because this idea of waking up with this pyrotechnics going off behind you every day and this ballyhoo all over the place, that's very temporary. But that's because we as human beings tend to live in a temporary world in every way, shape, or form. And once we adapt to that person, then at that point, the relationship has to find other means of survival. Because if it doesn't adapt, it's going to die, which is the, the, the theme of being a human being. So with that said, what happens to us when we meet somebody uh, and, and we're creating that chemistry, we're creating that bond. Let's explain the chemistry of love. Let's talk a little bit about what happens to our brain when we start to build an attachment to somebody and we start to, quote-unquote, fall in love. Well, there, there has been actual MRI brain scans that show the activity in the brain as the person is formulating the love and attachment for another person. And there's a, it comes from the center portion of our brain that's referred to as the primitive reptilian brain or survival brain. And it's been around for thousands of years. It's part of the brain reward system associated with craving, motivation, wanting, etc., etc. It's also associated with focus, attention, and learning. And this is really the same area that gets agitated or um, influenced by uh, drugs and risky behaviors. So it's all about creating an entire spectrum of chemistry in our reward center of our brain as we're with that person that we're learning so much about. And so the, the, that portion of the brain, which I believe it's called the caret nucleus, I don't have it in front of me, but it produces a neurotransmitter called dopamine, a, chem a chemical that creates feelings of pleasure, ecstasy, obsession, jealousy. All these feelings, uh, a lot of our feelings come from dopamine and are influenced by something called the amygdala, which I'll get to possibly in another show. Uh, studies of the brain uh, indicate that romantic love produces high levels of dopamine, which of course influences our mood and our motivation, and we have these euphoric feelings, and what did I say before? Our thoughts, emotions, and behavior are all connected. I've said that in previous shows. So therefore, our behavior is going to be influenced by our feelings. So at this time, falling in love, um, or, the, or the honeymoon phase, uh, people, lovers tend to become infatuated. You know, obsessing in romantic thoughts and actions day and night. It's it, it, like I said right here. <laughs> it's it's a great feeling, you know. And uh, and but but it's also a, a there, there's also uh, some psychotic behavior there because uh, these obsessive traits are also kind of connected with with certain mental health disorders like like OCD, for example, and. The reason is because our dopamine levels are at a high level. And we also have low levels of a neurotransmitter called serotonin. But like I said earlier as well. So anyways, let me go back to that. So serotonin and dopamine, the dopamine tend to be interconnected. 
and a lot of times they spike up or you don't get enough of it and and that has created schizophrenia has been influenced by by those neurotransmitters like i said earlier ocd um and so it's all it's all it all comes down to hyperactivity of the brain and that's really what we want to look for here because when you meet somebody you're creating that natural hyperactivity of the brain okay so but like but but once again the brain cannot sustain this high level of dopamine for an extended period of time because we are adaptive individuals and there's an actual name for that which i forget at the moment i think it's called like like hedonic creatures or something like that but we have that we're pre-wired to adapt and therefore the honeymoon phase it doesn't last forever and that is the sad part about all this so once once that portion of the relationship's over then our ego starts to take over and of course with our ego what comes with our ego our insecurities our expectations and everything that like i said earlier creates our worldview begins to take over we start to be more rational while at the same time being conducted by the behavior that's been conducting us this entire time which whatever the case may be so if you're in a negative state of mind before you met this person then you're, you're starting to slowly gravitate back towards that state of mind and thus the relationship itself is going to start to be influenced by your behavior so everything starts to we, we start looking at things from a different lens and there's a lot of defensiveness and we start to become very reactive or passive or guarded uh and and the feelings of trust and state and safety start to kind of erode and then depending on where you're coming from or where the other person's coming from um things uh, a, a, a lot of our insecurities start to get magnified so this is the time when people start to get cleanly this is the time when people start to question trust or or want to uh feel like they're safe so they're they're constantly looking for that safety net in the other person so you start to see that and, and you know what? Here's the, here's honestly, that's always been there. Uh, but but when we're in the honeymoon phase, again, we're we're kind of being, we're pretty much being doped up, right? So it's like we we really don't see it. But once we adapt and we start coming back down to earth, we start to see certain things, certain patterns of behavior in our partner, and then certain pattern of behavior that we might or might not see in ourselves. And then so it's everything starting to be based on our functional reality right whatever that may be because sometimes it's maladaptive but that's the best thing that we start to base our relationships on our functional um lives and that's where shit starts to go down so from there things start to go from unconditional to conditional love and that's where the boundaries need to be set. That's why it's very, very important that we put the work into ourselves. Because so once it goes from unconditional to conditional, uh, both people, yourself and your partner, will start to experience physical and emotional triggers from the other's behaviors, and you begin to need you begin to need them to do things your way for safety, trust, and assurance. And and sometimes that doesn't happen, as and so they. They're also uh, trying to feel the same way. So now, so the relationship is now in the crisis phase, which means each person is starting to lose the perspective of love and connection with each other. And 
now fear, need for safety, power, and control become critical. And so here we kind of go back to our um, protections, right? To our to our to our coping skills. So past wounds and starts to be triggered. The past wounds of our past start to be triggered, and you know that's where the that's why introspection, self-awareness, continued self-growth is incredibly important because once you start muddling around with triggers and past trauma and projecting stuff, things are going to get very convoluted, and then we we're going to delve into what 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 psychologists have called the force horsemen of divorce which we'll get into way at the end of this um because there's a lot to that as well and once you're in those phases it's very difficult to resurrect that relationship a lot of times that's that relationship by that point and we'll get to the to the phases that pretty much now i'm not saying they're not salvageable but i'm just saying it's very difficult to do so um so it's very important that each individual within the relationship is accountable for their own triggers and it's accountable for their own well-being right because if, if you if you're not accepting of each other's flaws and you and adapt and adjust towards making the relationship work in healthy ways then there's going to be a lot of contempt and stonewalling and and there's going to be a lot of finger pointing and you know th and then there's going to be emotional reactions now once you start to think emotionally at that point, there's there's not going to be no logical uh, solution to your problems. So it's it's these these are other things that come up and need to be worked on. And so at this point, you start to create you you could create an imbalance in the relationship. One of the partners may start to give more of themselves in order not to lose the relationship for being a being for fear of being alone. You know. So at that point. It's very important for for the for the couple to be able to work this out and be solution focused whenever they they're having arguments. Don't don't be bringing the past. Don't be bringing that's that's why communication is important. What I said earlier because you have every every argument or conversation needs to be solution focused for that particular problem and that is it. But if you start to build resentment. And some of this resentment could go back years, and that goes back to being passive, which is, or, or not being a good communicator, or you know, or being uh, fear fearful of of negative outcomes. These are all things that have to do with the person, not so much the partner, but the person themselves. And if you're able to properly communicate and and properly bring solutions to problems, then you're gonna you're gonna establish a good healthy relationship if the couple individually and collectively struggles with doing their inner work and coming to a place of acceptance the conflict and power struggles will remain with drama and heartache and that's just i've seen it many many times and so the key is to adapt and adjust as you naturally move from the obsession with love aka the honeymoon phase to the connection to love aka sustaining the relationship phase and within that process, you learn about yourself while you're in the relationship. It is in the context of the relationship that our wounds and negative beliefs about ourselves and others will surface 
Our triggers are not for our partner or others to fix. Our triggers are, are just our triggers. So is it, up to, it is up to us to recognize and find solutions and reframe the wounds from within ourselves. Because our partner is not the enemy or threat. Rather, our opportunity for us to heal ourselves more deeply. The partner and others can encourage and support us on this journey, but we alone must reconcile our own wounds and false beliefs about ourselves, our loves, and our relationships. The That I want to get to next. How do we become... Uh, when, when we're thinking about ourselves, how do we make the wrong choices? How do we... How do we how, how do we tend to where do our triggers come from is what I'm trying to say I'm sorry it's late and and I don't have a lot of notes so <laughs> I'm winging a lot of this but that's how I like to do it because again it's us having a conversation right it's not about this is not about academics this is not about you know me trying to use big words this is this is the podcast for the people and sometimes just having a casual conversation like this goes further than me throwing all kinds of fancy smancy words that don't mean to anybody, don't mean squat to anybody, um, but the people that created them. So I rather do it this way. And so sometimes my brain has to catch up to itself so that I could keep on talking. But um, but I want so I wanted to go back and say how how do we how does our worldview shape who we attract? And that's the conversation that has to do with attachment. And I'm going to talk about attachment after I take this quick break that would that's going to seem like a day for me, but a millisecond for you. I'll be right back. So let's go ahead and start talking about attachment theory. Now, before back in the day, um, before attachment theory was proposed, uh, a, a lot of the field of psychology and human behavior was focused on like interior interior drives. Of the individual, not so much the relationships, but but as as the family systems movement started growing, coming out of Europe and and into the um, the United States, actually in California. So California was kind of the epicenter of the family systems movement. We started to find out that there is a lot of a lot of our behavior. It's not only due to our unconscious drives, which are important. And I'll do a show about that another day, but also our connections to our families and our influences around us. So there was a British uh, psychoanalyst called John Balby who came up with the idea of um, attachment theory. So I'm not going to get into all the razzle dazzle of that because just because it's too much and this is a, a there's a lot to cover here. What the the um the understanding is that we have four kinds of attachments. And every single one of us, every single one of you listening to me, myself included, fit into one of these attachment styles. And really quick, I'll go through them right now. So the first one that we have is secure attachment. Now, secure attachment is when you've had the proper nurturing from, from childhood, when the caregivers provided you with the right kind of attention they didn't smother you with attention but they also didn't neglect you it's the perfect balance and ultimately secure attachment although possible from an early age 
This is one of the ones that we as individuals have to work on to achieve. There's cultural variance. There's different uh, parental uh, strategies. Uh, there, there's uh, maladaptive behavior within the, the, the caregiver. Uh, so there's a lot of things that go into play here where we might not always have the best upbringing. Even, even when our caregivers, uh, when it's not that there's malice intended, is that a lot of times, uh, you know, they they kind of overestimate uh, uh, the 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 autonomy that a child needs to to be to form secure attachments. So, anyways, so secure attachment brings about a trusting, independent, but close and open to expressing affection in confident ways with their partners. So a secure attachment individual understands the uh, understands their their selves and they also understand how they work within the context of a relationship and they also have a good idea of how the, their partner sees them. So there's a lot of there there, there is a lot of positive confidence, um, insights, awareness judgments uh, that this person carries. And again, it takes a lot of work to get there for most of us, myself included, but I think this is why it's very important to put in the work and, and come to terms with your core negative thoughts, come to terms with a lot of your triggers and your uh, core issues that, that are unresolved. Um, I think all this is critical for us to start building secure attachments and secure attachment means that you're already fully formed, you're full, you're, you're whole. You that means that you know that that jug inside your soul that needs to f be filled with love no longer has a hole under it. So it's 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 pretty much always filled because you yourself fill it with your love, which includes self-respect and the ability to set boundaries. So all these things coming together. As far as uh, how the big picture of a relationship is uh, works, so again, it takes a lot of work to go to secure attachment, but it's possible. And I think when people put in the work in themselves, it's definitely something that could be achieved. But then we have the three more common ones, and the reasons why there is a lot of difficulties in relationships. Um, and I'll start with the first one. It's called dismissive avoidant. So with dismissive. Dismissive avoidant attachment pretty much means that, um, and again, keep in mind that this is a, a reflection of your upbringing with your caregivers or your relationship with your caregivers. And I'm not going to go into detail on that, but just know that there's a connection there. Um, so dismissive avoidant is kind of like uh, they're just kind of ambivalent to everything. They don't, they, they don't feel comfortable with emotional intimacy, and they tend to pull away from close others if they feel hurt or rejected so so dismissive avoidant are the people that take everything incredibly personal even when it's not they they, they have low self-esteem and they it's all or nothing with them right so so these are the kind of people that if you don't show up to their birthday party they're still reminding you of that 10 years down the road right even though it could be it's nothing personal or these are the people that tend to think that their the their entire relationships revolve around them, and there there's some there's a lot of egocentric uh, tendencies with dismissive avoidant people. Um, so yeah, so they're very sensitive. Uh, 
and they're all it's also very frustrating to communicate with them because like i said like i said earlier they don't feel comfortable with emotional intimacy so you, so you're kind of screwed regardless because if it, just imagine a person who has a secure attachment you know well first of all a person who has a secure attachment is going to drop healthy boundaries and they're not going to allow a dismissive avoidant person to come in and fuck with them all right because they they, they have self-respect they'll try to work with them but there's there's a limit and what's frustrating is because dismissive avoidant has no emotional intimacy you cannot connect with them at an emotional level and a lot of times they also have mood dysregulation which means that their mood and their affect are going up and down in dramatic fashion constantly so it's very difficult to uh, have have arguments that are going to lead to solutions, uh, and 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 of course, once you start, if, if a person starts asking for their needs with a dismissive avoidant, and it's anything that they take personal or they take as a negative, they're just going to pull away from you, and which again makes it incredibly frustrating. So then we have the anxious preoccupied uh, attachment style. So these these people they constantly need reassurance from their partners. Uh, they they seek closeness and intimacy, but more intensely and often more quickly than their partner is ready for. So these are the the people that tend to get clingy right away. They tend to um, you know they, they 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 tend to overcompensate in a relationship with 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 kind of just being close to each other, right? And so. These are the kind of people that, that are that are constantly worried about breaking up with somebody. These are the kind of people that are constantly um, being codependent. So, again, you know, you th th this is the other extreme, right? Because the, their anxiety just pushes them inward into a relationship, but they have very um, loose boundaries. So... You know, you, you, you meet these people on dates, and these are the kind of people that after a couple of dates, they're already thinking about how the marriage, you know, they're already thinking about uh, two years down the road, three years down the road. But where it gets worrisome with them is that they're also thinking about the negative parts. What about if he leaves me? What about if he doesn't like me? What about this, that, other thing? And it's like you're barely meeting them. And, and on top of that, there's a lot of disclosure that happens with anxious, preoccupied uh, attachment styles, um, individuals, that's kind of weird. Like you don't when when we're talking about relationships, there's a process to them, and there's a healthy process and an unhealthy process, and a lot of it is all about what kind of boundaries you have. You don't go around and sharing intimate de details with people you just met, you know, personal details. You don't you don't go around expressing emotional um what do you call it like you know telling somebody that you love them and that you can't live without them without them is that without the relationship establishing the kind of equity to deserve that kind of language because somebody that's secure attachment they're gonna see right through that and they're gonna see that you're trying to use them for the for you for your own unresolved problems so that's what anxious preoccupied is, and that leads to a lot of issues because, again, these are the kind of people that tend to be very cleanly. They tend to start, um, you know, calling you all the time and texting you all the time, 
and trying to be in your business. And there's nothing wrong with that in a relationship with the proper communication and the proper boundaries. The problem here is that all, all this, um, all, all this intimate um, relationship ideas by the anxious preoccupied, it's not earned. And that's where the real problem comes in because they haven't, the relationship itself hasn't stabilized enough for them to be all up in your business like that. And yet there they are. And that could be a problem. Then we have the fearful avoidant. And the fear the fearful avoidant is quite possibly the 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 what I would say one of the worst attachment styles there is because they're pretty much a combination of the the avoidant and the anxious. And these are the kind of people that pull, push people away and they'll pull people away. These are the kind of people that are very black or white as far as their thinking. They're, they're, they're uh, very emotionally mature people. So these are the kind of people that have a very low self-esteem and are often confused and giving mixed signals of pushing away and craving more connection. So these are the kind of people that will be loving to you all for, you know, one day they'll be the most loving person in the world. And they'll read something because they have a lot of insecurities and they, they they'll, the, the partner will do something to where they read it wrong and they take it personal. And of course, these people have very little uh, emotional intimacy or even uh, emotional intelligence. So they're not going to they're not going to have a conversation about it. They're just going to internalize the information they got from their partner. And all of a sudden, they're going to have a narrative in their head. And all of a sudden, it's going to be the worst thing in the world. So from being loving, because remember, they're also anxious, preoccupied, so they're they're very clingy. All of a sudden, because of that misunderstanding, you're the worst person in the world. So from going from being loving one day to the next day, they'll completely push you away. They'll start an argument, and all of a sudden, you're like the devil incarnate. And that's that's the pattern that fearful, avoidant, attachment style lives in because what's going on here um <clears throat> is they have a lot of abandonment issues from from their childhood so what's going on here is that they themselves don't believe that they deserve to be loved so but they want the love right that's where it gets uh a little confusing emotionally so when they meet somebody new they want the love. They, so, they, so, they, so again, they're very anxious because they feel like they don't deserve it. So they'll cling to that person and they want the love. But then they come to understand they don't deserve that love. So then they feel like, since I don't deserve that love, why is that person loving me? And so now they have to create a scenario to self-sabotage and push that person away. And so it's, it's, that, it's that back and forth, that constant back and forth. And so just imagine somebody who has secure attachment. They're like, what the fuck? I'm not dealing with this shit. I'm out. And so they leave, right? And so with with fearful avoidant, what tends to happen because they tend to push people away with their attitude is that they validate their own thoughts. They're like, well, see, they left. That means I am unlovable. And they continue that pattern of self-sabotage and, and toxic shame within, within themselves. So, so there you go. So those are the four attachments their uh, theories in brief like i said i'm not going to go into them specifically there's so much more to that and that's a very very interesting topic 
Um, because on top of that, we also have developmental stages. Eric Erickson's developmental stages. If I'm not going to get into that here, um, but it's very important to understand that as well because that shows where you are from a maturity standpoint, you know, um, because that's, that's based on psychosocial stuff. So that means that uh, Eric Erickson's developmental theories are based on relationships, on, on caregivers, and on being able to go from one stage to the next properly and be a fully functional adult because every stage of our lives has a challenge that we have to uh, that, that we have to get through in order to go to the next stage in our lives. And so if we if we don't if we don't we can't pass that quote unquote test, then we're gonna kind of be stuck in in a particular uh, scenario for for a very long time. Now, one of the things that that I think has the the, the correlation doesn't fit because because so, a lot of times you have people saying, well, so and so they've been together for uh, ten years, fifty years, and they've worked it out. Well, nobody has asked them how happy they are. Nobody has asked them how fulfilled they are. And there's a lot of reasons for relationships to work. Uh, there's there, there's a lot of reasons just for practical situations. For example, if there's kids involved. You know, if there's kids involved, then, then that brings a plethora of new um, situations to think about whenever one, one wants to leave a relationship that have, that have nothing to do with being in love. So... I always like to give the example of the narcissist who marries the codependent. You know, you have those marriages go on for years and years and years. And guess what? There's satisfaction in the relationship because the narcissist, they seek control. They seek validation. They seek dominance. The codependent, they seek, they seek leadership. They have, they don't have the confidence to, uh, be self-sufficient, you know, and they want to pedestal people. So both of them are both of them are, are personality disorders, what we call personality disorders, and yet both of them produce a high ratio of successful marriages. And then people are thinking, well, the narcissist, oh my God, he's probably mean, or or, or the Cody is very weak. But guess what? They're not in mental distress. That's one thing about personality disorders is that. The individuals themselves are not in pain, except for borderline. But besides that, you know, when you're talking about narcissists and codependents and, you know, uh, antisocial personality disorder and histrionic and, and et cetera, et cetera, they're, they're not in pain. Everybody around them is miserable, but they themselves are not miserable. Therefore, those marriages tend to to last a long time because they're both getting what they want in, in a relationship. A Cody and a narcissist are are both getting what they want. The only issue there is that you could you could create generational maladaptive tendencies if there's kids involved because of the behavior established in the relationship, right? Um, and unfortunately, without anybody uh, asking for help within that family unit then there's really nothing we could do. And usually they won't ask for help because that behavior becomes normal in that family situation. So it's a little complicated, but we see that all the time. So I just want to give you guys an example of like this idea that marriage lasting a long time is not necessarily conducive 
of good, fulfilled lives, like a lot of people think it is. It depends on the situation, and at the end of the day, um, I think autonomy in people is very important. I think, I think when people get married or when people get in a relationship, you don't want to lose the sense of independence. You don't want to lose the sense of self because I think, as as primal animals, it's very important that we get to keep that portion of ourselves, right? So that's why I I, I said earlier when when like secure attachment comes already filled up with their own love and their own self-respect. And when secure attachment individuals, when they allow people into their lives, it's to enhance them. It's not to complete them. I fucking hate that term. They, he, she completes me. I hate that term. And that's a very Western culture influenced term. That's a hallmark term, as they call it. You know, that's there to sell beautiful little cards with wanky lettering. All right. The idea is to have other people enhance us, you know, sharing the experience of, of spiritual bliss together and share in the communication and trust that comes with secure attachment. That's that, that, those are successful relationships, not the constant anxiety of insecurity that we tend to carry with us. Right. So I think the idea here is to say that relationships are a mirror of the individual. And therefore, if you don't take care of the individual, you're not going to be successful in a relationship. Right. If you don't love yourself, you, you cannot have the capacity to love someone else. It's like it's like you see somebody that's cold out in the street and you want to offer them your shirt, but you're, you're butt ass naked. Like you can't offer them anything, even though you want to, because you yourself don't have it. So until you get it, you can't offer it. And I know it sounds cliche, but we see it all the time. And if you don't respect yourself, you're going to have very rigid or loose boundaries and people are going to walk all over you. You know, I always I always tell my patients, if we don't work in our boundaries, if we don't have healthy boundaries, which includes self-respect. Yeah, you're going to have a lot of people that want to be your friend, but you're also going to have the jackals and the vultures that are going to come and try to manipulate you for your entire life. And that's something that you can't happen because it's only going to validate how you already feel about yourself. So it's very important that we establish our own foundation before we go out and, and, and try to make a life with someone else. So it's very important that both individuals come what I like to call fully form into a relationship and avoid getting into a relationship into that happens depending on how serious you want the relationship to be. The other person always communicating and agreeing and how relations and how deep this relationship is gonna be. You know, I'm not saying you can't have a good time now, because we all love to have a good time. I'm just saying have disclose everything so there's no misunderstanding you know i'm not saying everybody you date has to be with you for three years five years ten years whatever they could be with you for two days for all i care because every relationship is going to bring something new to, to it's going gonna, gonna to introduce a new tool to your kit to take forward with you i'm just saying just disclose how you feel to that person 
and, and reciprocate how they feel. And if it's not a match, then move on because then people are going to get hurt. You know? So that's what I'm saying. But if you do want a long-lasting relationship, then it's very important that both individuals come in fully formed. They, put, they both do their inner work to reconcile and release their core relationship wounds and their negative beliefs. And that's the hard part because that takes a lot. But it's very it's worth doing it. And both individuals have to practice accepting themselves and their partners. And they have to practice what we call radical acceptance. Not only of yourself, but as your partner. You have to understand that your partner comes with an abstract and complex personality. This idea that, you know, see, here's what happens. Whenever we get whenever we get upset at our partner, we tend to focus and spread that 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 personality trait that upset us and and, and put it they be that's what they become. Alright? So when somebody when you when you don't like somebody's negative trait that you're with, you just you, you don't see the, the very different parts of, of their personality. You just hyper focus on that negative trait. And all of a sudden that negative trait in your mind becomes their entire being. So you lose the concept of how complex we all are as individuals. That is not radical acceptance. Radical acceptance is understanding that all of us come with a spectrum of emotions and with a spectrum of personality traits and some good and some bad. And if somebody upsets me, that is not who they are. The reason that they got me upset is not who they are entirely. Because I fell in love with some part of them that was good. But when people upset us, all of a sudden that part's gone. We forget about it. And we tend to just brand them with whatever negative impact they had on us, right? And that's very narrow-minded. And that creates values to problems. So so we have to uh, have radical acceptance. Now, in order to do that, they have to already be compatible to you. And you've already have to have put in the work yourself and them, hopefully, to where you're not looking at them to validate your own negative behaviors. So, see, and that's the thing. Like, so what we're trying to build here is to is both people have to have secure attachment. Because if you have fearful attachment, if you have um, anxious attachment, uh, if you have ambivalent attachment, then you're just going to be bouncing off the walls because it's all about satisfying the ego at that point. And you're attracting people to make up or compensate for how you feel about yourself. And that's not going to lead anybody to any good. All right. So another, another thing that people have to continuously be doing is continuously engage in trying your best to keep the awe. In the relationship, you know, that's why date nights are very important. That's why uh, a cute little love letters, if that's your thing, is very important. That's why trying to keep that that uh, the feelings that I described earlier in the honeymoon phase, right? The crescendo of a song, you know, the birds and the bells and all that stuff. Um, and that's very difficult because once we get into kind of the normality of our lives with our partners, it's like 
you know, we've heard on fart, you know, and we've, you, you know, all this other stuff that that's, that's not a, that attractive. Um, <laughs> so it's very difficult, but it's not impossible. And I think a lot of times too is that even there comes a point in our relationship where even if that beautiful letter doesn't have the impact of novelty that it used to, I think a partner recognizes the effort. And, and, and there comes a point where I think people feel validated to be in a relationship when they see effort being put in. And that's not so much that you want to recapture the magic. Because you could. I mean, at times, you, you, you know, nostalgia works and you, you'll go back and it's beautiful. But I think the important thing here is that there's two people that still care about each other and they have an understanding. And, you know, when, when, when you take her to her favorite restaurant, right, or, or she buys you that shirt that you wanted, whatever the case may be, um, it's, it, it's not so much the gift. It's the fact that there was effort put into the relationship. And I think that's what's priceless. And that's what a lot of people forget, especially when there's kids involved. And it's very important that we don't forget that because that those are building blocks to a successful relationship. So it's very important that we always want to have almost like this childlike quality about us, this wonder about our relationship that allows it to keep it in, in a state of blossoming for a very, very long time. Uh, you know, really, the goal is forever, you know. Um, and within that, you know, both people should freely offer words of affirmation to each other. You know, pick each other up when you have to. You know, um, keep it real with each other without the, the, the possibility of offending someone. Because, again, if they have secure attachment, they know themselves, so they're not going to be offended. You know, don't go around criticizing people. Give them affirmation, you know. Focus on the remind them of their strengths, remind them of their resilience, remind them how, how wonderful parents they are, remind them how grateful you are for providing for the household. You know, these are things that go a long way because it takes a lot to, to, to be in a family unit. You know, even, even if there's no kids involved, just re remind them of their little victories throughout the day, you know. And if you have constructive criticism, do it in a respectful way. Don't do it with contempt. You know, don't do it with this idea that you're trying to bring up something you don't like about them uh, in a negative way. There's ways constructive criticism always presents a problem, but you also present a solution. See, what, what, what a lot of times what we end up doing is that we just start slinging mud. We just start slinging mud. And it's like, well, you know, why are you like this? Why are you like that? And there's like, well, where's the solution here? There's no solution. So that starts breeding contempt, and then that's not good. We're going to go to that in a little bit. So I think words of affirmation are very important. And we talked earlier, you need some quality time together, some real time together where you uh, kind of engage in your own language that you've established as a couple. And you all know what, that, what that's like. Anybody that's been a couple for a long time, just enjoy each other's company, right? And even if it's like 30 minutes a day, then that's what it'll be. And that'll stack up to be worth something uh, throughout the relationship. Because believe it or not, there's people that have like zero time for each other. They're going through the motions. They live in the same house, and yet they don't really even know each other, right? So 
I think that's very important. And, you know, I think also good relationships, fundamentals, work on altruistic um, expression. You know, I think offering acts of service to the public without expecting anything back is very important. And I also think that uh, feeding off of each other's goals is very important, you know. Because if I have a passion for something, and my girlfriend has a passion for something, and I and, and, and I, I even though I might not really be into what she's passionate about, I understand her, and and vice versa. That passion, that 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 magic, that lightning rod that we all want to feel constantly, right? That reason to get up in the morning to achieve a goal, that that becomes an, an umbrella for both of us because passion. Knows no names. So if I see she's passionate and I love her and, and she's expressing to me all these plans that she has that she wants to accomplish, I, I'm going to feed off of that. And it's like, holy shit, like look at her and vice versa. And when you have two people that are passionate about something and it could be their kids, it could be it could be their career, it could be their hobbies, whatever the case may be. If we support each other, that 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 magic is going to engulf the relationship in a very positive way. So I think it's very important that we feed off of each other's passions. And it just it just keeps that candle lit longer, you know? And that's always a good thing. All right. So that's that. And right now, next, I want to talk. I should I should have flip-flopped this, but whatever. It's, it, it is what it is. I don't want to edit it. I'm tired. And my voice is hoarse. Um... I wanted to talk about the four horsemen of divorce, which is what a lot of uh, marriage counselors call uh, pretty much uh, the, the four scenarios that lead to a dead relationship, a relationship that has no heartbeat, has no pulse, and separation is the preferred um, option. So, so these are communication styles that can lead and a lot of times do lead to the end of a relationship. And there a lot of times when the communication styles uh, become a norm, become a habit for a very long time, it's very difficult to come back from that because there's so much resentment that's built from these communication styles that it's almost impossible to, as a, as a marriage therapist or relationship therapist, to have any sort of of solution to these issues and so that's why I think it's very important that communication is, is, is a factor in a relationship positive communication so let's go with the first one the first one is criticism and like I said earlier criticizing your partner is different than giving them constructive criticism which of course comes with a very respectful premise and it also has a solution and there and and the criticism is only valid for whatever you're criticizing. So like I, so you're not bringing stuff up from the past. There, there there's no there's no if and or what. This is this is the issue and this is the solution. What is the, our compromise? That is good criticism. Bad criticism is something that validates your ego because you're frustrated and your and your source of the criticism is coming from an emotional state of mind rather than a reality focused state of mind. Um, and it's more, it's more shaped like an attack, you know, uh, and 
So, and and a lot of times too, it's not, it's actually your 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 partner will, will will perceive it as an attack on their character. So you're pretty much dismantling their whole being when you criticize them, and so so that's con that's uh, criticism. So if you find that you and your partner are critical of each other, don't assume your relationship is doomed to fail just yet. Uh, you know, because the problem with criticism is that when it, it when it becomes pervasive, when, when it paves the way for other other far deadlier horsemen behind criticism that follows. <laughs> um, but yeah, it makes the it makes the partner feel assaulted, rejected, and hurt, and often causes the perpetrator and the victim to fall into this escalating pattern where everything gets more and more intense. So the crit the critic if, if this continues. The criticism will become greater and greater with more frequency and more intensity, which develops into our number two horseman of divorce or separation, which is contempt. So when we communicate in this state, we are truly mean and contempt is, is horrible because you don't it's it's like it, it makes us feel like we're three feet tall, right? Or, or two feet tall. It's like you know, it's it, it has so much disrespect and and sarcasm and passive aggressive behavior and ridicule and ridicule and there's name calling and there's uh, nonverbals like body language, like eye rolling and scoffing, and it makes the the person receiving that feel despised and worthless. So it's it's worse than criticism because criticism you're attacking your person's uh, your partner's character, and when you have contempt, you you feel like the, the 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 attacker feels like they have a that they're more superior than than the person receiving the contempt, and that's you know you throw that in with criticism and we're in a slippery slope there, folks. Then comes defensiveness. So. This is typically a response to both criticism and contempt. And everybody's been defensive. And, you know, this particular horseman is like nearly omnipresent when relationships are on the rocks. Right? So there comes a point where just the thought of your partner coming home from work makes you feel defensive. defensive. That's bad, folks. You know? When we feel unjustly accused, we wish for excuses and play the innocent victim so that our partner will back off. And it's like that that that's never successful. You know, fishing for excuses and playing the innocent victim, um, just not because you're justified, but just so that you can get some distance from, from the person is never really successful. And at this point, there's no resolution to the problems, you know, because neither person is taking their concerns seriously anymore. And it's all about survival at this point. So at this point, again, the, there's an omnipresence there of the entire negative aspects of the communication style, right? So, so it comes to the point where just the thought of your partner puts you in a negative state of mind. And that's definitely not where we want to be. But there's a lot of people that are there. 
And again, it's very difficult to come back from that because what starts to happen is that you're starting to leave a permanent emotional scar in you. So as a marriage therapist, when 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 I have worked, I actually don't have a lot of experience yet this deep into um I haven't worked with couples that are this deep into their dysfunction. But I do know from a lot of my mentors that we want we want them to come to terms with what has already happened in the relationship. In other words, rather than start over, we're past that. We can't start over with a clean slate. We have to work with the scar that's already there when we're in this phase of negative communication in a relationship. So the two people have to say, okay, I'm okay. I will come to terms with the fact that there is a scar in the relationship and I think I could move forward with that. And if the answer is no, then maybe it's it's time to um, you know, reassess where you're at in your life and maybe it's time to separate. We don't know. It just it depends case by case. But anyways, so the last one um, is called stonewalling. And this is a response to just pretty much the previous three, but especially content. So rather than confronting the issues with, with each other, people who stonewall can make evasive maneuvers, such as tuning out, turning away, acting busy, staying longer at work, you know, staying longer with friends, or engaging in obsessive or distracting behaviors. Now, we've all seen it, right? Like, it's like, at that point, you're completely disconnected. And emotionally, you probably haven't even, you're not even there with your partner, and probably hasn't, you haven't been there for a long time, but this is physically now. At this point, you don't want to be in the same room. Because at this point, rather than talking about your issues and trying to come up with a resolution, it's more about just not even being around them. And it takes time to get there. I mean, but the fact that it stonewalling kind of becomes an option, it just it leads to a bad habit of relying on that option. And once you once you're there, you see what happens is that you, once you start stonewalling. You start developing new habits. For example, once I get out of work, I don't want to see my wife, so I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go to the bar for an hour. That's an hour less I have to be in the house with her, with her. So you start doing that repeatedly, and next thing you know, going to the bar is gonna be part of your day, and that's gonna be hard to break because we're creatures of habit. Another topic I'm gonna bring up in the future episode. And so at that point, it's very difficult to break. Now you gotta to understand too the messages that you're that you're leaving at home because again it is two people in a relationship folks so there's two there, there's two cognitive processes going on here it's not just one so two people are interpreting everything that's going on in the relationship and they're both coming to their own conclusions so as you're going to the bar once a week or you're going to the gym or you're going to your friend's house whatever the case may be or you're staying an hour later at work people at home are interpreting that as well and usually without communication it could be very negative so once this becomes a bad habit, it's very difficult to stop, and then you kind of feel like physiologically flooded. And when we stonewall, we may not even be in a physiological state where we can discuss things rationally because we're so upset and we so we're so emotionally triggered. So at this point, it's it's all about reaching out. You know, one of the two persons has to reach out and break this cycle of communication or else 
it could lead it could lead to negative results. Um, but anyway, so that's where we're at, and I think I'm gonna I think I'm gonna cut it right there because we're we're already a little long in the tooth here. Um, this is gonna be an ongoing topic, you know, because again, I want to talk. There's so much to talk about here. It's a very interesting topic. But I don't want to make these too long because nobody wants to hear me talk for over an hour. Um, again, reminder, once we get past this COVID, I have lined up a number of guests who, who have agreed to be on. And I like to do my, my, my interviews one-on-one. Um, and so I'm waiting for, for the world to normalize a little bit to bring them on. If it doesn't, within the next within the first few months of the year, um, then I'm just going to do it through Skype or through Zoom, whatever, even though I don't want to do it that way, but I'll do it that way. And we could have some experts on different topics in human development, personal development, um, talk on this show about their experiences, their knowledge or whatnot. So I'm going to cut it right here. Um, again, going back to what I said earlier, you know, I love the, the honeymoon stage, but I also know what it represents. You know, I know there's a lot of people in academics, there's a lot of there's a lot of therapists, and there's a lot of people that, that are all about, you know, pathologizing love, right? And making it a making it a source of science. And it, you know, it's like I don't want to do that. You know, I I, I, I get it. I, I I've read the research. I know I know how how maladaptive the honeymoon stage could be. But I also, but I'm also a very spiritual person, you know. I, I I'm, I'm, I'm not a, a statistic, a statistician or a numbers person who's looking at this, at this idea of meeting somebody else as a response to behavior, right? That's not that. that I, I don't want to be like that. I refuse to be like that because I know what I felt, and I, and I choose to accept what I felt as a person that has created their own meaning in this life. I choose to accept the 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 idea of meeting somebody new and the novelty of meeting somebody new as something special and something beyond comprehension and something spiritual and it's a cool feeling but I'm also have the awareness to know within myself well am I just projecting my my insecurities my unresolved, my unresolved trauma onto that person What's going on here? Why is why is that why I feel so good? You know, maybe, but as long as I have an awareness of it, I think it'll be okay. Um, so I think it's a little bit of a mixture of both. Just go with the flow, enjoy yourself, because it is a beautiful feeling. I said earlier, you can't buy it, but at the same time, be mindful that we have to have good insights, we have to have good judgment, and we have to have you know, we have to love ourselves first before we could give that to someone else. And if somebody disrespects us, then it's no longer about being in love with them. At that point, we have to accept reality, right? If somebody doesn't want us, I, I don't even know. I don't even know what's so sexy or attractive about somebody that doesn't want you. But there's people out there because they themselves have the fear of abandonment, the attachment issues that we talked about. That are constantly seeking the validation and the approval of other people, and they disrespect themselves in the process. Well, I think it's counterproductive, personally, because it's almost paradoxical. It's like, why are you gonna convince somebody to love you when they don't love you? Like, doesn't it defeat the purpose 
of loving somebody if it's not reciprocated. Anyways, there's a lot to that. And again, we could talk about that on another show. But just be mindful of, of the things that are at work when we meet another person. And, and a lot of that is a reflection on who we are as a person. And a lot of, a lot of our issues are going to come out whenever we see ourselves with another person. So all these things are all about having good insights and putting the work in yourself. Because when you start putting the work into yourself, when you start going to therapy, especially if, if, you, if you come from a, from a world that has had a lot of trauma, you definitely have to go to therapy, in my opinion. Um, and you start getting clarity of who you are as a person. And you start developing a sense of self and a sense of identity. And within that, you start developing good, healthy boundaries. And so you start keeping away the vultures and the jackals that I talked about, and you start attracting the right people in your life. And then once you do that, well, then you could go ahead and, and be in the heavens uh, in, that, in that honeymoon phase all you want because it's, it's, it's from a positive, adaptive, respectful place, right? So anyway, so that's what, I'm, so that's what I wanted to get, the point that I wanted to get across. But that's it. My voice is shot. I'm tired. And it's been a hell of a, a, a day here in this country. 2021, not exactly off to the good start. But we knew that. We knew the healing process wasn't going to be overnight. We knew it was going to be baby steps towards normality. It wasn't going to be from one day to the next. And I think, you know, just keeping our positive mindset and working on ourselves, I think we're going to be in a good place this year. I still firmly believe that. So with that said, this is... Uh, Edo Settle signing off. And again, you could find me on Instagram. I'm Dead Boy Lost in LA. And you could find me on Facebook under Pedro Nunez. And that's pretty much it for me. So we'll see you next week.